Welcome to Seeking Paradise, Reflections on Spirituality, Community and Justice. I used to love Lego as a kid and uh, often on Christmas and birthdays it was often Lego uh, that I had. I think I started with castles and Robin Hood uh, toys and then later it was um, pirates was the kind of theme of all the uh, Lego that I collected. I got rid of them only quite recently actually. I get I, uh, sold them to a friend for about 50 quid for all the Lego which I reckon they got a good um they got a good value uh, for that for their children to play with because I think they're probably like collectible items actually from the 80s um, at this point but I was glad to give them to another family uh, and some other children that would enjoy uh, using them. Now this month Lego um, announced that they were no longer labeling their toys as uh, for boys and for girls and this was after their global research revealed how much play can restrict what different gender fe children feel comfortable with. So we can send very, uh, very early on, send these signals to our children about what they should and what they should not be interested in based on their gender. Professor and author Gina Rippon said, this was a problem since toys offered training opportunities so if girls aren't playing with Lego or other construction toys, they, they aren't developing the spatial skills that will help them later in life. And if dolls are being pushed on girls, but not boys, then boys are missing out on nurturing skills. So this restricts all children. And indeed, the bigger fear actually is for boys to be perceived to be playing with something girly. That's uh, the, the quite big fear uh, in the way the culture is operating. But if a boy wants to play with a kitchen or, or a cooking set, then why shouldn't he? And yet sometimes society and parents and the way toys are marketed can give signals to repress and deny different interests uh, because of gender. And th in that way, kind of these things very early on become more and more ingrained in our society these gender stereotypes which these are gender stereotypes which are bad for for boys and for girls and for men and for women and for everyone and for non-binary people as well this was pointed out to us of course a long time ago uh by mary wollstonecraft the the mother of modern feminism who was also uh, a member of the Unitarian Church in Newington Green in the 18th century. And she pointed out how associations of, of femininity were of delicacy of sentiment, she said, and refinement of taste, and almost synonymous, sorry, synonymous with epithets of weakness. And that's what, how she was showing how, how gender works um, in her day. And maybe things have changed a bit, but maybe in, not in some ways. Um, Mary Wollstonecraft wanting to speak of women as rational people and not a kind of delicate childlike people. She was saying, you know, women were treated as delicate childlike things, but she, uh, as, a, as a rational and intelligent person herself, wanted to uh, increase the estimation society had on women to be 
rational uh, human beings and not to be this delicate childlike creatures that society told them they were. So we've been dealing with this, this for a while, with how gender can restrict us. In, in the gospel stories of Jesus's final meal with his disciples, there's, there's a fascinating little detail. And in Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus said, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Now, what's very strange about that is that in that culture, carrying a jar of water is very much a woman's activity. It would be really strange to see a man carrying a jar of water. That's very clearly women's work in that culture. So how do we, well, how do we interpret that in this, in this story? Now, my colleague Bill Darlison will tell you here is a symbol of the astrological symbol of Aquarius, the water bearer. And that points us to the symbolic clues that are throughout Mark's gospel with similar um, symbolic meanings to everything that's going on. I've also seen a one-man play from a performer called Peterson Toscano on transgender characters in the Bible. And I've seen Peterson Toscano tell this story. And he imagines that this is actually a transgender woman who was hosting Passover with her family. And she was presenting as a woman for the first time. And they've got into a blazing argument and the whole family has stormed out, leaving her alone. And now she's gone out to collect water as a woman, holding the water jug high and proud. Everyone is staring in the crowd. It's a distinctive thing to see. And the disciples see this transgender woman and say, you don't happen to have a place where we could eat Passover, do you? And she says, well, actually, as it happens, I have a table and I have food and I have no one to eat it. So why don't you come over to my place? And that's where the Last Supper ends up happening. And so a miracle occurs out of family rejection, out of family ejection, rejection, a new community of inclusion is formed around the table as the disciples of Jesus sit at the welcoming table. The fun thing about the Bible is that you can imagine stories within stories. It's called Midrash. It's, a, it's an established Jewish way of, of telling a story. What is the story within the story? Within, between two sentences in the text, what is the story that happened there? What is the background of, of what we can imagine a story might be? The story within the story, the story that weaves into the story and gives us new truths through new stories. Because within that story is a truth, that new community is formed out of people being true to themselves. We form 
new community, the welcome table of the kingdom of God, when we create a space for people to be their truest selves, when we are all liberated from restrictions, including gender stereotypes. You know, transgender people do this most visibly in a very particular way, of course. And it takes the most personal struggle, personal work and brave self-knowledge to do it. But they're also just showing us, the rest of us who are cisgender people, the path we all take in what it means to be free what it means to be who we are and what we are what it means to not let other people's ideas about gender diminish our souls and our bodies so when there's transgender liberation where, 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 where trans people are able to live fully and happily in our society which they're not at the moment it's huge attacks on the trans community at the moment when we live in a society of trans liberation, that's good for all of us. That's good for us, uh, trans people and, and, and cisgender people, non-transgender non people. That's good for all of us because a society that has trans liberation is a society in which gender is less of a, a thing that unhelpfully restricts all of us. This is a, it's a good thing for, for, for society, for everyone. The liberation of the open table is to know ourselves and to be ourselves and to be ourselves together. Because what each of us is, is a beloved divine being. That's what's at the heart of the Unitarian tradition. In the words of the first real Unitarian, Michael Savitas, whose death anniversary we've had this week, that universal essence of God from the beginning has been placed in us and later has been poured again into us abundantly. The essence of God is poured into us abundantly. That's what Michael Savitas said. They killed him for saying things like that. Because here is a revolutionary idea of the divine indwelling of all people. We are filled abundantly with the spirit of God. And to be true to that inner spirit is to know ourselves and to be ourselves and to be ourselves together. May it be so.